times when we inspect things for authenticity. I mean, why? Because there's fakes, right? There's things that purport themselves to be something that they are not. And we test the purity of gold. We test the purity of silver. We test the authenticity of diamonds, right? We had a family member uh, on one side of the married such and such, whatever, uh, side of the family that uh, the young man, I guess, was in the Middle East. I'm trying to remember. And he bought this diamond uh, engagement ring uh, for his soon-to-be bride in the Middle East. And he spent thousands, I forget the number, thousands of dollars on this ring. I mean, it was $10,000. Yeah, something like that. And it was beautiful. <laughs> Got home and she went to the jeweler for some reason and it was a fake. So somebody in the Middle East made bank off this probably $30 item. <laughs> and uh, it was a fake, the cubit zirconium, you know, that type of stuff they have out there. And uh, so, you know, we test authenticity. It would have been good if he had tested it there first, right? Gone to a jeweler. and uh, But uh, no, we do that. Why do we do that? Because if you have something valuable that turns out to be worthless, you've really lost a lot. Maybe you have a lot invested. Maybe, maybe somebody else has a lot invested and it turns out not to be good. And we don't like it when that happens. So we test things. We try things. We inspect things. We make sure they're good. You, you get something that you paid money for and you'll see a little, a little sticker sometimes that says quality checked by and somebody's signatures on there and that they said, yep, we looked at it and it's good. Okay. We like that. Well, in salvation, there are counterfeits as well. In people that purport to have relationships with Jesus Christ, there are counterfeits there as well, aren't there? I mean, I mean, think about how clear could Jesus have been? How more clear could he have been than he was in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, they call him Lord, have we not done I'm sorry, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not uh, um, in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works, right? There are going to be those that come to him at the judgment, calling him Lord and saying, wait a minute, we did a lot of things in your name. You, you said we cast out devils. Jesus said they cast out devils in his name. And they're and they're they're surprised, like, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, I never knew you. Right? Now watch, do you realize this? Jesus never gives the scenario in the in the New Testament of somebody he once knew and later did not know. He said, I thank you, Mike, and pointed this out to me one day. Never caught this. He said, I never knew you. Wow. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And so what is it? There, there are those that are, they are counterfeit. They're counterfeit. They purport to be something that they are not. So is there any way to test the authenticity of your faith? Well, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this. And I got to tell you, I was, I was headed to verse five tonight. I was heading to verse five and I got stopped at verse two. You're going, oh boy, this is going to be a while. We're not, we're, we're going to, I'm going to split this up tonight a little bit because I, I told uh, Sherry tonight, I said, well, I didn't, I, I wasn't planning on ending here tonight. It just is where we're going to end tonight. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not done. I'm not saying I'm done. So <laughs> where we were going to end was not where I was expecting to be taken with this. 
And uh, so we're going to look at this. Verses 1 through 3, we see first first and foremost coming out of here is Paul's warning to this church at Corinth. He said, I'm coming a, a third time. Listen, we know the background of the church. We know all the sin problems. We know all the things, that the, just the, the silliness that was going on there and the immaturity that was going on. And he's been working with this church patiently over the years. trying to get them to come to maturity. And he said he's going to be coming now a third time. He says, this is the third time that I am, future tense, coming to you. Right? And he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So it seems to me that he's coming and he's going to have some witnesses that that are going to verify. They're going to, they're going to, uh, vouch for what has been said, what he is going to say. And so why is he bringing witnesses? Well, he's about to drop the hammer here. Look at verse two. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present, like I'm, I'm telling you right now, the second time and being absent. Now I write to them, which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come, I will not spare. Wow. He's not happy. He's not happy about what's going on here. They've had time to get right with God. They've had time to clean up the church. They've had time to get those that are just walking in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. They've had time to get them out of the church and get it cleaned up. And they haven't done it. And Paul says that discipline is coming and I'm not going to spare. Why? Because a pure church is necessary. It's a necessary thing. Look at verse 3. More proof. (laughs) Right? He said, I will not. He said, I will not spare. Why? Well, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. More proof. Paul says, since they want, since you want more proof, of his apostolic authority. And this is what was going on. They were questioning all of this, quote, supposed authority that Paul had, the power that he had. He says, since you want more proof of my authority, you know what? They're about to get what they've been asking for. They're about to see the authority that Paul has in this church. I want to remind you back in Acts chapter 13, it is, I believe, yeah, Acts chapter 13. If you remember, Barnabas and Paul had just been sent out by the church at Antioch, their sending church. They were going out and they got over to the, to the island of uh, Paphos, Paphos, Paphos. And there was a man there, a, 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 you know, it was a, that area was a, was a Roman province. And there was a ruler over that province called a deputy whose name was Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus had called for Barnabas and Paul because he wanted to hear the gospel. <clears throat> so as they were trying to get over to, to, um, to Sergius, there was a man by the name of Elamus. The Bible said he was a sorcerer. And that sorcerer, that witch tried to stop the meeting. And at that time when he was going through trying to do what he could do to stop the meeting between Paul and Sergius with the gospel, Paul, the Bible says Paul looked him in the eyes. He turned and looked him in the eyes and he said, listen to what he said. You talk about, well, I don't know if Paul has apostolic authority. He said, oh, full of all subtlety and mischief, Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right way of the Lord? And you know what Paul did? He turned and he said, you are going to lose your sight for a season. And boom, he went blind. And the people went, ooh, 
I think that's apostolic authority, <laughs> right? The church of Corinth, had, they weren't there for this, obviously. But I'm telling you what, he got sick of it. Remember that time they were preaching and that damsel of divination was following him and saying, these men are of the most high God, hear them. These men are of the most high God, hear ye them. And it said, I think it was like for a matter, like three days, I think it was, if I remember that right, they were, she was following them. And finally, Paul got sick of it, turned around and rebuked the demon out of her, the devil out of her. And uh, of course, the guy who owned her was pretty mad because now he's going to lose money. He made money with her. But it was just a demon, and he turned around and commanded the demon to get out of her, and he had to. Apostolic authority. Man, you know, Paul says here, he said, uh, if I come again, I will not spare. Maybe they should have had a little bit of a, uh, a little background on this before, they, before, before, this, this, uh, before a lot of their accusations came out, right? He, Paul's telling the church here, since you need proof, when I come... You are going to have proof. I've had enough. I've had enough. What is he doing here? What, what will he be doing that would be considered not sparing? When he shows up at Corinth, what actions are going to take place that would constitute Paul not sparing? I believe what we see here is some church discipline. There's going to be some church discipline. Yeah. And I want to look at that tonight. Biblical, biblical church discipline. Doesn't get preached much. Doesn't get taught much. It doesn't get practiced much. Uh, we like to, stress, uh, to, to stay away from it. But listen, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, and if we're going to agree that this is not our church, but it's His church, and we're a member of His body, right, We've got, we've got to preach this. We've got to teach this. We've got to practice this biblically, not unbiblically. Uh, sometimes it is practiced unbi- unbiblically. But we've got to practice this and be true to the Word of God because it's His church. And so I'm going to show you tonight church discipline. There is a purpose to it. Ephesians 5.27, uh, the Bible says that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The Lord Jesus Christ has a purpose for His church. He has a, he has a desire that His church, that His body is pure. Why? Because it's His body. He is God. He is without spot or wrinkle. He is holy. And He has commanded us to be holy as I am holy. And God wants His church to be a holy, pure uh, 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 a body that that whose purpose is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, but he wants it to be a pure body and a clean body. You know, if your body has cancer, you don't leave it in the body, right? Not usually. Normally, they they want to get it out, right? Because eventually, it affects the whole body, and the body dies. Right? You 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 want to keep the body pure. So the purpose of 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 church discipline, it has a purpose to keep the body pure. It has a purpose. Listen to this purpose, please, closely. Restoration. Restoration. The purpose of, of church discipline is that an individual gets right with the Lord, gets right with the church, comes back into fellowship, and comes back in. Friend, let me say it this way. As if nothing ever happened, 
and they carry along and are usable to the glory of God. That's the purpose of church discipline, restoration, purity, restoration. And if, listen, if that is rejected by them, finally removal, removal. The cancer has got to be cut out sometimes, right? No, listen, if somebody has, uh, you see this with diabetics and neuropathy and eventually sometimes legs and limbs get cut off, right? The, the person who has the limb cut off never wants it cut off, but they know to preserve the body, it's got to be cut off. There, there is two things going on there. There's a, there is a, a, a desire that it doesn't happen, but, but, but the reality that it has to happen. This is the same thing with church discipline, right? It, listen, if a church is, is a spirit-filled church, there is, there is, there is never a time I, should, I would hope that somebody would say, yeah, get them out. Absolutely not. But sometimes we know in sadness it has to happen. It has to happen to protect the church. And so it has, church discipline has a purpose. Church discipline has a specific people that this would apply to. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 12, would you please? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul is going on here. We are familiar with this. We went through this uh, book just not too long ago. It's reported commonly, verse 1, that there is fornication among you, such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Right. Even the unbelievers aren't doing what you that what is going on in this church. That's a pretty bad indictment, friend, that one should have his father's wife. Here's here's where it gets worse. And you're puffed up. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned. That he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Listen, if we ever get to the place where our sin doesn't make us mourn, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye, what is, who is ye speaking about? The church at Corinth. So he's talking to this, this, this church, right? When ye are gathered together, when you're assembled, and my spirit with, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to jump down to verse 12. Right? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, look at verse 12 and then we'll go back and look at these. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? So church discipline has a purpose, but the people of church discipline, watch, are members of that body. Right? You're safe here. <laughs> you can go live it up, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I, her pastor would, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a member of the body. Wait, no, we're not, we're not standing in judgment of somebody else's members. It's not up for us to go to that church and go, let me tell you something, you better, you better. Now, sometimes uh, somebody may call up and say, do you know your member is doing this? Okay, but, but we, we don't go through the process of somebody else's church. That's a different body, right? It's like you having a problem in your body and go, that your leg needs amputated and you go amputate somebody else's leg. Wait, that's not your body. Right? Leave them alone and deal with your own body, right? We deal with those that are within, not those that are without. Which just shows another thing here, actually. You need to be a member of a body, friend. 
It is unscriptural not to be a member of one of God's body, one of the Lord's bodies. It is unscriptural. It is unknown in the New Testament to be saved and not a member of a church. You need to be a member. That's a whole other, that, that was free. That wasn't in here tonight. But the people, we're dealing with those that are in the body. Now notice here, there is a procedure. There is a procedure to the way this happens. We're going to go over to Matthew 18, but then we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18 quickly. I want to show you how to deal, show you what the Bible says. I'm not showing you. I'm going to show you what the Bible says, how to deal with problems. And this is just one problem, okay? But it shows a pattern here of of how to deal with things. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 15. Moreover, Jesus is speaking here, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So we see a pattern here that Jesus gives us to deal with issues in the church. Now this isn't necessarily, uh, this, this as it starts out is just a problem between brothers, right? Maybe, maybe somebody has stolen, let's say this, somebody stole something from you. Let's say this, Martin came to my house and Martin stole uh, my, my chainsaw. He saw that and coveted it and he thought, ooh, that's a that's a steel O twenty nine, that's a good one. Hmm, hmm. And this is an eighteen inch bar, man. This is nice. Yep. And he put it in the trunk of his car, and he went home with it. And I went looking for my chainsaw one day. I thought, where'd my chainsaw go? Right. And I looked on all of the cameras that surround our property, three hundred of them. And and uh, I thought, well, what, what on earth? That's Brother, brother, that brother Martin took my chainsaw. And so I'd go to his house and knock on the door and I said, hey, brother, you haven't seen my chainsaw, have you? No, haven't seen it. Haven't seen it at all. You missing it? Yeah, I'm missing it. Hmm, weird, weird. Mary, have you seen, have you seen pastor's chainsaw? You been using it? <laughs> Oh yeah, she'd tell on you immediately. <laughs> she, wouldn't, she wouldn't put up with that. Yeah, and then I, I might, I'd be like, I've got you on camera. No, it wasn't me. I'd go back and I might, I might get Brother Allen since he gave me the beautiful chainsaw, and I might get because he, yeah, he'd be irritated too. And I, I might get Brother Davidson, right? I might get somebody else, and we'd come to your house and brought Brother Martin, right? And he'd go, I know what you're talking about. And then what we do? Then we'd probably have. We'd come bring it to the church, right? We bring it to the church and say, listen, this is what's gone on. Here's the video. We're going to have, since we don't have a screen, oh, we need to get a screen now. And we'd show, look at this. Who is that putting, whose car is that? Who, what? Ah! And you'd go, mm-hmm. we'd present it to the church and say, he's a thief. He's, right? Yeah. This is a pattern here, okay? And there might be something that happened. He may finally repent and go, yeah, caught me. I'm sorry. Right. There may be removal from some ministries. All right. You're you're not. What do you do around here? Nothing. Okay. Well. 
oh, no more shows, no more side shows, no more comedy events. Those would be over. He might be so unrepentant, you know, and just stir up a bunch of problem and just become a scorner and just and just cause a lot more problem. You go, brother, we're going to have to just, you know, you're, you're going to have to get this right or else you're going to go. There's a pattern, you know. You don't just go out and be, I guess what I heard, get out. See the pattern here? Now notice back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn back there. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice Paul said it was reported commonly. It's reported commonly. This was out in the public. This was known. Everybody knew about what was going on. It's not necessarily some personal struggles in the flesh that we might go through on a day-to-day basis. This is, this is a big thing that's going on here. And the, nobody was upset. We looked at that. That was, that was a bad thing, right? He says, when you're assembled, notice what he says, to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What is he saying here? They're unrepentant. They're not dealing with the problem. They're not admitting the problem. They're puffed up and they're like, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't see a problem. Right? See verse 5 here, deliver. That word deliver up means to deliver one up to custody. Watch this. To be judged, to be condemned, to be punished, to be scourged. That word deliver is like you're delivering one over to the authorities for judgment. It's like at the end of the trial and they say guilty, he is handed over to the bailiff, he's taken to the court and he's or to the to the jail cell and he's going to now serve out his punishment in a sentence. Paul says deliver that one up who will not repent, who will not get right. You deliver them up, look at to who? Satan. Wow. To Satan. Now, Paul deals with this in another place. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, just scoot over there real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Nope. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So here was a couple preachers that were just a couple of heretics and they weren't, they weren't fixing their problems. And because of they continued in their, in, in, their, in their blasphemy, as Paul called it, Paul said, I delivered them up to Satan. Wow. To Satan. Why to Satan? What is, what is, what, what is he saying here? What, what is being done when you deliver one up to Satan? Well, we know this, that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. So to really to deliver one to Satan is to remove them from the protection of the church. Right? There's some protection here. There's some protection being a member of the body. Right? In verse 5 here, he says, I'm going to deliver them up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. We remember Job, Job was allowed to be attacked by Satan, wasn't he? God said, you can, you can touch him. You can't kill him, but you can touch his flesh. You can touch him. Uh, Satan has that ability. Watch this. Sometimes unrepentant believers need to be turned over to Satan to suffer in the flesh first so they might repent. Listen, some things do come into our life 
because we just have unconfessed sin and God is trying to get it out of us and to get us in a right place again, right? But see, if, we, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, remember when Paul was given instruction on the Lord's Supper because they were messed up in that as well. Remember he said some were taken in an unworthy manner and it was so bad, he said, some are even weak and sickly and sleep. Paul said some were, were handling this in such a bad way that their flesh was so affected, watch, that they even died. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. Right? So they have been, Paul says here, to give them up, to, to deliver, to hand that one over for punishment, for condemnation, for scourging, for judgment, to deliver them unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have, listen, we, we still have complete assurance that our spirit is secure in Christ, right? They, they are not lost if they're in Christ. They're not unsaved. But listen, they, they've lived in such a manner, in such an unrepentant way, that sometimes you may have done this with your own kids. You said, you need to come home now. You're done. Well, we're still playing. No, you're done. I've told you 34 times to stop that. Get in the house. Listen, sometimes in a believer's life, we will continue in such an unrepentant, uh, boastful, arrogant, proud way that if we are in Christ, he will say, time to come home. It's time to come home. Listen, don't try to figure out how long that's supposed to be. Because sometimes we can look at somebody's life and go, well, they, you know, they can't be saved. They've been going on with this for, you know, 10 years, right? Let's not, don't go there, okay? Only the Lord knows that. But see, this is a serious thing, though, friend. This is a very serious thing. Verse 6, Paul says, leaven leavens the whole lump. It affects everything around it. When unconfessed, unrepentant, I should say, sin is allowed to dwell in the church, it affects the whole body. And what does Paul say? Purge it out. Get it out. Look at verse 9 through 11. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or with the idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. So Paul says, listen, don't, you know, don't keep company with fornicators, but I'm, I'm not saying don't have anything to do with them because you've got, you got to bring them to Christ, those that are unsaved, right? If you take this like some people do, right? They go live in caves, or, or they never leave their church, or they don't get out and to bring people to Christ. They, they, want the, they don't want people in the church that don't look right. Well, he's not talking about that. He said, if you go that far, then you're not winning them to Christ. You're, you've gone out of the world. He says, that's not what I'm talking about. Verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. Okay, not to keep company. It's, that word just is what it means. You have any company coming over this week? Yeah, got company coming over. What's that mean? It's people that you're keeping company with. You're having a good time with, all right? Not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Now I have heard, I have heard, and they meant well, 
And I, I have no doubt about that. But I know verse 12 has been used as a proof text for, a closed, for the closed Lord's Supper. Some people believe that's no, not one, not to eat means uh, obviously this person that you're not going to allow them par- to partake of the supper uh, because of this unconfessed sin. And though that would be applicable, I, I, I'm, I have real trouble that that is really what that's saying here because he's just talking about in verse 11 not to keep company. He's talking about just getting along. And he says if there's a brother that is living this way, listen, don't go out to eat with him. Leave him alone. Don't keep company with him. Don't invite him over to your house. Don't say, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Come on, brother. Let's come on over. Well, you know, I'll try to help you. Paul says, no, cut it off. Cut it off with them. Yeah. No, not to eat. There's a purpose in church discipline. There's a specific people in church discipline who are members. There are procedures in church discipline. I have an excerpt. I left it on my, well, it's, I didn't leave it on the phone. It's always been on the phone, but I left my phone in, my, in the office here. But I have an excerpt from uh, the First Baptist Church of Aurora, Missouri, from uh, oh, taken out of one of their booklets, probably from the 1930s or 40s. And it was the what constitutes church discipline. They wrote it out, and the members had it. <laughs> Backbiting, right? Uh, dancing. It's, it was called the fanciful toe. Dancing. Uh, uh, what was the other? Dram taking. It's alcohol. Drinking alcohol. Um, uh, you know, uh, hypocrisy. All they had a whole list of things, of things for church discipline. They knew about it. Yep, gossip. All of those things. And they they were warned that if you carry on in this stuff, uh, we're going to have to uh, remove you from the membership and remove you from the body. Pretty. It's pretty. Pretty interesting list. Could you imagine us printing that and giving it to every new member? Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Actually, it'd just be here. There they go. (laughs) Paul says, uh, I'm not going to spare when I come. I'm going to deal with this because it hasn't been dealt with. (coughs) You know what the great takeaway is from this? I mean, we know, we understand here. I think, I think the Word of God is pretty, pretty explicit here that uh, church discipline is a necessary, sadly, a necessary part of the function of the body. But one great takeaway from this that I notice is that the church is a serious thing. How many think your body's pretty serious? How, how many take your body fairly seriously? I know some do more than others. I get that. Yeah. We took it much more serious when we were younger. <laughs> right? The older you get, the kind of it seems like the less serious you take it sometimes. Uh, but then there's some that take it very seriously, right? They're active. I mean, they're they're health nuts. Right? They they don't sully their body with anything bad. They would never have a piece of cake. They'd never enjoy life. They would just never. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sometimes we'll take our own body fairly seriously, but the church isn't taken as serious as we take our own physical body 
that is one day going to go into a grave and decompose. Leonard Ravenhill, though I wouldn't endorse him per se, has some very sobering remarks many times. He's a very serious individual. He's passed away now. He said, It's a sad reflection of the church today that we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. Think about that. That is true. You preach holiness, people get nervous. They're more afraid of holiness than they are of sinfulness. Discipline is for restoration. Restoration is... Is if restoration is rejected, there's re- we, we, there's removal, because the church has got to remain holy and pure. First Timothy three fifteen, Paul told Timothy there, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, what which is the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is the pillar of truth. It holds up truth. It's the ground of truth. It's the foundation of truth. It's important. It's a serious thing, right? We can't, we, listen, we can't tolerate, God does not want us to tolerate known, unconfessed public sin, right? Unconfessed immorality, unconfessed doctrinal heresy, unconfessed under uh, of this undercurrent of of division and backbiting and and gossip and and um, and just uh, complaining and murmuring, right. a scorning spirit. Right? What is a scorner? A scorner is somebody who mocks, they scoff, they're arrogant. They just can't believe. Do you realize? Do you realize in the Word of God there is no remedy for the scorner? The Bible doesn't give a remedy for a scorner. Proverbs nineteen, you know what it says? Smite the scorner, so that the simple will learn, so the simple will fear, and the simple will beware. There's there's no remedy given for the scorner. Be careful that you don't get there. You know what I thought? You know, there's a lot of problems going on. If you ever spend time online, there's a lot of problems with people writing all sorts of uh, of things on the internet about their problems with with churches and church abuse and and, and all of the you know the cover up of abuse and scandal and this and that and uh, you know what the sad thing is if churches had been biblical and dealt with the sin like they ought to maybe it wouldn't have given an occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme yeah they, because uh, here's what some churches think well that can't get out what would people think if that got out well maybe they would think wow they're really serious about what they preach and they don't tolerate it. Maybe they'd come out with that. Yeah. I think it would have helped us. And you know what? Now we're, hey, we're, we are, we are uh, gleaning years of that, uh, of that dismissal of sin. So if things go without repentance, then there's discipline. Discipline is for restoration. Restoration, if it's rejected, there can be removal. Next week, we're going to move on here with the examination in verse 5 of our text that we started in chapter 13. Kind of all goes together here.
And uh, we'll look at that. But I want to give you three thoughts tonight as application for all of us. I did say us. Okay. How are we taking, how are we, let me say this, how are we tending our personal walk with the Lord? Our personal walk with the Lord has an effect on this body. People clamor for a spirit-filled church. You don't have it without spirit-filled, spirit-led people, members. How are we tending our personal walk with the Lord? Because it affects this body. Number two, are we walking in a way with the Lord? Are we walking in a way that protects the, the purity of His church? Are we walking, are we walking with the Lord? Are we living our life with the Lord in a way that protects the purity of this church? And number three, are we walking in a way that demonstrates the seriousness of God's church? The seriousness of it. Friend, it's the vehicle for the gospel. Right? We're told in, 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 in the New Testament that, that, that he, it was purchased with his own blood. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Serious thing. Right? There, there are people that take their gym memberships more seriously than they take their church membership. I, I have been. I have worked in, in companies when they were opening. And I've been in. A, I was in a in a room one time, and they were training employees, and they were they were going through all of the things that they should not do with their company shirt on out in public. Yep. I, I saw the list of uh, that Sherry brought home from from uh, Hobby Lobby of all of the requirements of employees of what they can and cannot do at the store and, and how in their attire, just their attire and everything else, some of the, the, the rules and regulations for that. I was waiting to get on a plane one time and there was a man up arguing with, with the, uh, not the stewardess, but whoever the, the, the gate attendants are, arguing with the attendants saying, I, I need to get on this flight, I need to get on the flight. And she kept saying, I'm sorry, you don't have a collared shirt. He was an employee of American Airlines, and the 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 the, the rule was if if you're off if you're off uh, if you're not working and you want to get on a flight because they can get on any flight, they still had to have a collared shirt. Why? Because they took their company serious. Right. They took it serious. They wanted to, they wanted to portray that what we're doing here, we believe in it. Why do they take it serious? Well, you're taking two hundred and some people thirty thousand feet in the air, and they're hoping that you take off and land safely and get where you want to go. That's a serious thing. Yeah. Can I tell you, souls are far more serious than American Airlines. Yeah. Let's not lose sight of the seriousness of God's church. Make sure it's a pure church. Make sure it's a church that glorifies Him. Make sure it's a church that when the world looks at it and they say, well, that's different. Yeah. Let's keep the church pure. We need to be done. Father, thank you tonight for this reminder. Would you help us, O God,
Would you help us? Would you drive this deep into our soul, deep into our heart, etch it, etch it deep into our mind, Lord, that this is your church, and it's meant to be a pure church. And Lord, it's a, it's a serious thing. Assembling is a serious thing. Singing of the great hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, they're a serious thing. The preaching of the word is a serious thing. It's not to be taken lightly. Would you help us to keep that and protect that? And then as we walk on a day-to-day basis, Lord, would you help us to keep in the very front of our mind, Lord, that we would walk in such a manner, in such a way, Lord, that the church would be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. Would you do that work in us? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me tonight, if you would, please. The instrument's going to play. We're going to have a short time of invitation. However the Lord has spoken to you tonight, you respond to him. How serious do you take the church of God? Let's be closed in a word of prayer tonight. Brother Chuck, peace, would you close us tonight?